Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, a.k.a. the Red Shirt King. Welcome to our last edition of the Unicorn Challenge podcast. I cannot believe that the first Unicorn Challenge has come to an end, but the finals are over. The confetti has fallen. The really tacky medals have been given out, and the bro fists have been delivered by rioters. It is over, and we need to break down what happened in the challenge. We need to break down everything that surrounded the event, and then we need to break down the games, because these are the last games we're going to be talking about for a while, and I can't think of anyone else I'd rather be talking about all this stuff with than my good friend, Walter Fetchuk. Walter, how you doing, man? Well, I appreciate the sentiment of having me on once again. You have put up with me for a very long time, an entire season of League of Legends, to be uh, to be exact. And I could think of no one else I'd rather talk with about uh, the year that we've had and the final games of that year. So, Chase, thank you very much for having me on once again. It's uh, It's been fun. It's been an interesting year, for sure. Uh, it ended, funnily enough, uh, this is yet another example of Chase predicts the series with the exact score, gambles against himself, and manages to lose. Because that has been the story of this tournament, because I am not a smart man. And that's, uh, that's kind of how this goes. I mean, let's, let's start with where you went, because I, I guess I, I want to get into, before we reveal who won, which I kind of just did there, but let's pretend that I didn't just spoil the ending here. I want to get into what was your process when you were putting in the bets? Because we make these bets without informing the other person. These, this was a secret kind of thing. So you could have gone in a number of ways. So what did you do and why did you go that way? Uh, so, in fact, my theory behind this was that I have a lead. I don't mm-hmm. need to go crazy on anything. But I need to bet more than I typically do. So I went with larger numbers than I usually do. I had been staying safe with, you know, 10s and 20s and stuff like that. Uh, this time I went 50 Unicoins mm-hmm. for every single bet I made, figuring that, you know, these little pockets of change that, you know, I didn't expect you to go as high as you went on, on one of your bets. <laughs> so I thought these little pockets of change would just help kind of ease that gap. And, you know, I'd win kind of a close one at the end. So obviously I chose SKT as the favorite to win it all. Uh, that one paid out. That got me a measly eight and a half unicorns. <laughs> cool. Whatever. Looking into game one, I was like, SKT has got this. They're going to win this. No problem. 50 unicorns on that. That brought me back 18 and a half unicorns. Mm-hmm. I went with the under being five games. So mm-hmm. I went under five games. I thought it was going to be three or four. Again, right there, 14 unicorns on gambling 50. And then I hedged my bets. I gambled. <laughs> on SKT winning 3-0. I put 50 on that. I would have made 127 and a half, but I instead lose those because I hedge my bets and say that Koo Tigers win one game and I take the better odds by going Koo plus two and a half instead of SKT minus one and a half. And I win 25 and a half unit points off of that. Yeah, so basically you managed to only lose 24 and a half between those two because you hedged. And that was, I think, you know, given your lead, that was smart. See, here, here is my theory. You know, I, I've made this argument on the podcast before. You don't play not to lose. You play to win. And yep. so I said, I'm in second place right now. What can I do to assure myself the victory? And I knew you'd been pretty passive. So I'm like, he's probably not going to bet everything. So I can't just, you know, go with my, you know, with my gut and just hope that that pays out enough. And I looked at the one and a half. I'm like, that's not enough. If I put everything on the one and a half and Walter makes his bet successfully, I don't think I win, especially because I thought you, would, you were going to bet a little bit more. I just I was very afraid that wasn't going to pay out enough. So I'm like, OK, well, I can't do what I think is going to happen. But what do I think is the next most likely outcome? That's the that's the three zero. <laughs> so I put 400 unicorns on SKT <laughs> minus two and a half because here if it came through, I win. That's the thing. If that bet came through, I was standing to make a thousand unicorns off that bet alone. I would have yep. guaranteed to be in the black. I would have guaranteed to have come in. It's a terrible idea if you're doing anything but a fun challenge with your friend on a podcast. You should never do this. But I'm like, what do I have to lose? If I lose this bet, I'm already going to lose the whole thing anyway because there's no other bet I can make that would help me out. So then I was looking at it. I'm like, okay. So I have 206 unicorns left because I can't gamble on the 0.29 unicorns I have. That's not how that works. So I'm like, okay, so I might as well bet these, right? Because at this point, 
Why not? And I might as well put it on something that I know is going to win, so I at least come back with something. So I put 200 on the minus 1.5 for SKT. Which you should have put on the 2.5 for Koo. Better odds. Because it was, it was better odds. I, I know. Better but he, odds. But my idea was they could both win. Like if, if SKT won 3-0, then both of those come in ahead. And I just raffle stomped, and I just wanted to see how high that number could get. I was feeling this, man. I really I, – I talked myself into – 3-0 is going to be my savior or bust, so I might as well bet that way. Um, there was no reason to hedge for me. I don't gain anything from hedging <laughs> at that point. And then I put six on under four and a half maps because what are the six unicorns going to do? Might as well put, put them down. Uh, obviously, SKT did not win 3-0. Not because they couldn't, but because they didn't care to, apparently. <laughs> I, and I'm only slightly bitter, SKT. It's not, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. And I'm disappointed mostly because now I have to hand this over to you you won! Congratulations, Walter! Oh, uh, back-to-back victories! It has just been fantastic here in the postseason for the C80s. Walter Fedchuk as a gambling expert. I think I now need to make that bold on my Twitter <laughs> profile. After getting absolutely shellacked in the spring season and having to have that wonderful photo of Aframu and, and Double Lift as... Uh, as the two guys from Scrubs, Turk and JD. Mm-hmm. I, it's just fantastic. I loved that photo. I thought it was great. Like, you could have done a lot worse. Mm-hmm. I went into summer. I remember I had the lead after, like, three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, feeling really confident. I was like, I got this. I got this. I got this. And then you just trounced me through the rest of the season. Well, well you had that one week where you couldn't show up, right? We had uh, Dave Throop, who's a, yes. who's a great yeah. writer. Uh, he covers a lot of the Halo scene. He's a big League of Legends guy. He came in and he did admirably, but I don't think he understood exactly how the gambling lines worked through half of it. So that kind of played against you. And then, then you were rusty. It took you a while to catch back up. And that was, that was the way I weaseled my way back in. And you've been enjoying yeah. that Tom Brady profile picture. Ever since. Do you know what you're, which, what you're going to do now? You have your plan. Which, which to be fair, is not, is not the worst thing on the planet. I mean, I drafted him in fantasy football, so I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, but I have decided what your punishment will be. Oh, good. Are you going to send it, this to me now so I can have a live reaction on the podcast? Yes. I mean, I, I, will, I will send it to you right now because okay. I have decided, despite what I have said about me not going to make fun of you for this anymore. Oh, no. I can think of no better thing. And I've thought, I thought of multiple things. I, co- I thought of quite a few things. Mm. But one of them, most of them were probably offensive to some other people, and I didn't want to, to do that. So your new profile picture is, in fact, going to be Zoro Zero. Oh, no. <laughs> it, it, it is going to be Zoro Zero. I know I promised that I was going to let this go because Rockat <laughs> was playing pretty well and Steve was playing pretty well. But there he is. You guys will be able to see this on his profile picture until the end of the spring season, which is fantastic. That's the worst part. Absolutely fantastic. And the thing is, this this was obviously, if you guys listened yesterday, this is the punishment for the guest alliance. It's a beautiful picture, by the way. It's really, the colors really shine through. It's got this nice little, uh, you know, blue and gold kind of thing going on. It's the old Lemon Dogs thing. He's like staring almost seductively right at the camera. It's a really, I mean, I, I can't. I was about to say I can't wait, but I can't pretend like I'm excited about this. God, man. <laughs> How can you not be excited about this? This is fantastic. It's it's pretty great. I, I'm not going to lie. I, uh, I I deserve this for, for losing. But, you know, there's a bigger cause that you get to you get to claim victory for, for this uh, Unicoin Challenge part of the competition. Do you want to talk about the lovely charity that just won $250 thanks to your yes. amazing run here? Yes, because of the wonderful people at, at Unicorn uh, and their... their love of what we're doing and their kind of endorsement of this and, and supporting it, uh, they will be donating $250 to my charity to write love on her arms. It's a wonderful charity that everyone should all check out and get involved in. Uh, it deals with uh, mental health issues, uh, particularly among young adults and, and teenagers, centralizing around thoughts of, su- uh, thoughts of suicide, depression, uh, eating disorders, that sort of stuff. They do it through uh, partnering up with with celebrities, essentially, but more music celebrities, more athletes, more focusing on really, really good role models in that aspect. They do a lot of really good stuff, and I'm really 
honored and happy that I can, you know, give them anything in, in this regard. And I, I'm really thankful to uh, to Bryce Bloom and, and to Rasul over at, at Unicorn for, uh, you know, doing this and, and supporting not only us, but this wonderful charity. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was wonderful for Rahul and Bryce to do this. Um, but not only did they do this for you, but they've taken pity on me and my wonderful charity, Nothing But Nets, which is a charity, as I've brought up here before, that sends insecticide-sprayed nets to underprivileged families in Africa, refugees, you know, these kinds of places of the world that really can't afford to ship these vaccines over. You know, vaccines are tough. You have to keep them frozen. You need special vans for it. You need to get them to these remote places of the world. These nets are a much cheaper way to keep the mosquitoes that carry malaria away from these families and keep uh, keep these families alive. And they thought this was a great cause as well. And even though I lost, and I lost in excruciatingly humiliating fashion by the end of it, <laughs> your final lead, by the way, in case you were curious, was 523 Point seven unicorns. So you have Oof. that. Though I will say, before you go bolding anything on uh, on your profile, you yeah, we end both up, ended up in the red. Yeah, we both lost in this tournament. Just to be clear, but but honestly, um, this has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much to Unicorn for letting us do this. Thank you so much for sending two hundred fifty dollars to both of these charities. They're both wonderful causes that we really appreciate that they that they've taken the time to both let us talk about this on the podcast and to help these charities out. It means a lot to both of us. And uh, we look forward to hopefully doing more challenges like this in the future. We don't know exactly where it's going from here, but I'm sure you have not heard the last of this kind of uh, of this kind of game because it was a lot of fun. Uh, and I think you guys really enjoyed it. We definitely enjoyed it. And uh, we know the folks at Unicorn enjoyed it as well. And it's been awesome working with them on all of this. So now we get to, now that we've gotten that out of the way, and I don't have to... Uh, be humiliated anymore. Let's talk about something that was humiliating in a kind of different way. Riot's handling of both the opening and closing ceremonies. I I have strong feelings about a lot of the decisions that were made, but before I get into how I felt about it, I want to hear from you, because you you got to watch the closing ceremony live. I only got to watch bits and pieces later because of how my schedule worked out, and you were there for the whole opening ceremony well, I only got about half of it because my alarm went a little bit too late. So I want to get the whole experience from you. What were you feeling when you were watching it? What are your feelings now looking back on it? So so my alarm went off this morning. And I set two alarms, one half hour early, one 15 minutes early. And the one for 15 minutes off early went off. And I snoozed it. And I kind of just laid in bed for a little while. And I said, do I really want to watch the opening ceremony, I get, you know, another like 45 minutes of a nap in, I could relax, I could be totally, you know, cool with that, mm-hmm. but no, I got my butt out of bed, I got some coffee, I sat down at my computer, I turned it on, the hum of the fans went, the blue LEDs illuminated the room, I turned on my speakers, I hear that, you know, chime of Windows 7 booting up, I close Steam, I close all of these other, you know, programs in the background, get everything all set. All I'm going to do is focus on Twitter and focus on this awesome opening ceremony with Nikki Taylor that Riot just absolutely has to have because we've been listening to this song for like two and a half months. It's mm-hmm. a great song. She did a great job. Mm-hmm. And I, I boot up TweetDeck and I see this tweet from Nikki Taylor that, that basically says, come hang out with me outside the venue before the games. <laughs> and I go, oh, so I guess she's not doing it. Yeah, yeah. Outside the venue, checking stuff out, come say hello nine hours ago, which I think translates to like maybe an hour before the games actually start. Yeah. And I go, well, okay. I guess Nikki Taylor's not involved in the opening ceremony. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Let's remember season three where they had Crystal Method and they had, I think it was Limp Biscuit, like come out of the stage. Like, it's got to be something awesome. They got to come up with something cool. Mm-hmm. I see the stage, like, okay, the stage looks kind of awesome. And then their introduction is basically this just slideshow video playing Nikki's song in the background, taking all these clips from all the other content they've made for Worlds and matching it together. A bunch of Orient and Fanatic images just to get all the Europeans happy. And then this kind of really subdued introduction on this awesome LED stage. All cool, you know, really just not entertaining. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Like, I really could have slept in another hour and a half. I didn't need to see any of that. Come on, entertain me. Do something crazy. Have some fireworks. Have some, some something. Nope. Really subdued. Really clean-cut professional. They spent their money on having it in multiple places in these really nice arenas and on the tech stuff behind it. I've been part of, you know, musical productions and stuff, and I've seen how much work goes into lighting just for a tiny little, you know, drama stage. Mm-hmm. I get that that's a lot of work. I thought that the having the teams facing each other in the semifinals and at Worlds was a really neat touch. But Riot really phoned in the opening ceremony. And to me, given the fact that their closing ceremonies have not been up to snuff compared to their opening ceremonies in the past, I had absolutely no expectations for the closing ceremony. They they could have done anything. Like, they could have had uh, Rise and Trinimir come out and, like, play an acoustic version of Worlds Collide, and that would have been, like, that would have surprised me, but, like, anything else, like, I, w- I was not surprised by what happened with the closing ceremony, which leads me to a very incendiary comment that I make on, I, I made on Twitter, and that I've stand behind and I've actually said it multiple points this year for different reasons I personally believe that when League of Legends dies be it two years three years whatever we will look back in history and say this is this was the peak of it this was the day that it started to go downhill I'm looking at it from the on the same day that the League of Legends World Championship is happening you have DreamHack and I'm not even going to try to pronounce the city because I can't (laughs) you have Hearthstone World Championship group stages happening twitch today broke two million concurrent viewers that is awesome but during the league of legends world championship sure it broke 620,000 on twitch that was the highest number i saw 622,000. at no point did the world during the world championship did the counter-strike numbers dip below like 300,000. we have to realize that Counter-Strike has just erupted in the past year in popularity. Heroes of the Storm has finally gotten to where it's starting to be a competitive nature. Smite had a larger world championship pool last year in their first world championship and will have a larger world championship pool in their second world championship, you know, in League's fifth. We have Paladins, we have Overwatch, we have Hearthstone that has erupted. We need to realize that League of Legends, you are the you are kind of the benchmark right now. Mm-hmm. You know, Dota events were not as crazy as they are now until League of Legends sold out the Staples Center. Mm-hmm. You know, the International was a really cool event, but it's at this kind of smallish venue in Seattle, and that was the only time that there was any pomp and circumstance around it. We were always looking at Korea and their StarCraft finals to have all these awesome, you know, venues, all these awesome fashion shows and music guests before them and all this, you know, bright flashing lights and everything. And League of Legends did that in Season 2 and in Season 3. And in Season 4 was a phenomenal show. Phenomenally entertaining in what they did around it. This was a good League of Legends series. It was good to watch the games. But over the course of the entire event, it was very clean cut. It was very professional. It was not entertainment. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say a couple things. I agree yes, with you on a lot, a lot of, of points. Content, a lot of content. Sorry, but, but no, no, that's and, and, just how I feel. Yeah, and and let's let's break some things down. So first of all, the Twitch numbers. One of the things that's gonna struggle with the Twitch numbers is that these games are starting at 4 a.m. on the Pacific Coast. That's a huge part of Correct. your target audience. You're you're already gonna be missing the first couple games. At that point, you just accept that you're going on vods. So that's gonna be a problem. Uh, the second thing, even the 7 a.m. start for the East Coast. For a lot of people, that's very early, especially people who are either A, going out on a Friday night, or B, planning on going out on Halloween, because that's a big night for a lot of Americans and whatever else. A lot of big parties, a lot of things going on. You don't want to be up at 7 a.m. and then passing out before any of the parties or any of the fun stuff begins. That's going to have an effect, uh, especially because VODs are so easy to get a hold of nowadays. This was not a time that was lending itself to Western audiences. And Europe, as we know, tends to get fewer viewers than North America. So that, that's, that's something that's a thing. I, I will say this. Esports, as a general rule, is adapt or die. That's how this goes. We've seen so many games that have come in, that have done their thing for a little bit, and gone out. Does anyone remember Heroes of New Earth? I mean, that was a thing for a while. Uh, we've had a couple MOBAs. DC was making a MOBA at one point. That went down. EA had their own MOBA at one point that people really liked. That's gone. 
I mean, there was a Lord of the Rings MOBA that nobody even remembers at this point that I still have on my Steam somewhere. God knows why. But, like, these things were things that happened. And you cannot stay stagnant. And that's the thing that worried me about this. If you're a riot, there are, there are ways you can go. If you watch BlizzCon, you see they involve advertisers, just like every other competitive league that we see, whether it's the NFL, NBA, Premier League, any of this stuff. They have advertisers. They get that kind of corporate money so they can fund in stuff and use that to collaborate with all their other things. We had one, one Coca-Cola ad. And you know what the response was on Twitter when we had it? Oh, that's really cool. Riot's finally allowing themselves to be commercialized a little bit. It was really cool. I, I remember tweeting about it. I remember watching Magic and a few other analysts tweeting about it. Like, yes, finally, Riot is embracing the fact that corporate entities can help subsidize some of these costs so they can actually do more with their league. The fact that it's taken this long is insane. I mean, you saw with uh, with the Heroes of the Storm stuff, they have the advertisers in the background. Oh, it's the, it's the Windows 10 DVR... Uh, highlight reel as we're going through. And you know who cared? Nobody. And you know why? Because A, it means that companies are taking it legitimately, and B, it's like two seconds of advertising, the rest of us can ignore it, it makes the leagues a lot of money, and it goes towards making everything else better. And for whatever reason, Riot has been terrified of this. So it, it's the reason the prize pools haven't gone up. It's the reason that if you ask them today, they'll tell you that they're still operating at a loss with the LCS, which given that it is the most popular league on a week-by-week -week basis, is insane. You should it doesn't matter because they write it off as marketing. I understand, but they could be marketing their marketing, and it should be operating at a bonus. It would be very, very easy for them to advertise this, given the number of people that are watching on a week-by-week -week basis, and they don't. And they don't because someone in internal affairs, whatever, doesn't want to sell it that way. They don't want to become to commercialize, to whatever. These are the same guys that gave fist bumps instead of handshakes at the World Championship. You know, th these are the same guys we had to remind maybe shouldn't be wearing t jeans and a t-shirt at the Season 3 World Championship when they're hanging out the awards. Like, these are not guys that think in that way, but you need to, because if you don't, you're falling behind. You Sure, you don't have the big concert. Maybe you can't top the concert every year, but you have to do something. Because you know what the thing that I took away from this? There was no difference to me in production quality between this or the semifinals, or the quarterfinals, or even a lot of the group stage matches. There was nothing that made it feel more epic. There was nothing that made it feel more unique, more anything. If you're a viewer, you know, sure, maybe the stage was cooler, but everything else was pretty much exactly like any other game. And for the World Championship, an event that you have been hyping up for literally an entire year that you have... Five major leagues, seven minor leagues, all these regional tournaments, this giant group stage, everything else, all hyping up to one event, and it feels no different than any other game that you do throughout the year? That's embarrassing. I understand that they see this as marketing and not as running a professional league. I understand that there's a mindset that they just haven't wanted to take in, and I'm sure that they've thought about it. I'm not saying they're dumb. I'm not saying that they're ignorant. I'm not saying that they're malicious. I'm not saying that they haven't thought about this and put time and effort, because any company that big surely has thought about these decisions. But here's what I am saying. You look at what BlizzCon does. You look at the numbers that they're going to get, the production that they create, the way they're able to build these events around this, you know, build all of this up for games that are nowhere near as popular throughout the year, but I guarantee the numbers are going to be amazing. You look at the way that, you know, Counter-Strike has let these tournaments flourish, and that a tournament in the middle of Romania, the middle of nowhere Romania, can become something that gets 300,000 plus viewers on a regular basis when going up against the world finals for League of Legends. Adapt or die, right? I, I, and, and, you know, it's up to you. Like, you, you decide what your product is. You decide how you want to sell it. But this is, this is stagnation. So that's where I'll, I'll, I'll pause, and I say that's probably not true. I wouldn't agree that the production quality did not improve. I think the entertainment value outside of the actual game, the overall production value was very good. It was very crisp. There were very few hiccups in terms of some audio issues, especially the videos at the beginning. The audio was desynced with the video as you're watching it. So it, it had this very weird, 
your ears were hearing something and their eyes were were seeing it happen, like very delayed kind of feeling that was a little disorienting. And then in the closing ceremony, they forgot to mute SKT's mic when they went back to the analyst desk. So you were hearing SKT say something uh, while the, you know, the analysts were trying to talk. Overall, the actual production, the, the lighting, the technology, all that I thought was very crisp, very clean, very professional. Look at the analyst desk. There was like no propping other than, you know, than uh, Monty wearing, I forget what it's called, but the traditional Korean garment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ha ha ha. You got your Korean joke in it. But overall, it felt very professional, like they were trying to make this a sporting event, like they were trying to make this NFL Sunday. The only problem is that this is the equivalent of their Super Bowl. This is their equivalent of WrestleMania, if you're a wrestling fan, of the NBA Finals. Pick any sporting event and their World Finals, their final event, this is what happens. NBA Finals, each team does some crazy thing where, you know, if it was in Brooklyn, you'd probably have Jay-Z coming out and doing his thing. But in every other sport, this is the spectacle. The, the, you know, the Super Bowl is when they're firing off all of the fireworks and they have the crazy halftime shows and they have, you know, somebody out entertaining the fans in the quad. And that's what part of this is supposed to be. And it's supposed to be a spectacle around the game before it getting you hyped up and ready for the game. The game happens. And then after the game, it's a wild party. Mm hmm. That did not happen. There was none of that surrounding this. This was, su- you know, a typical Sunday afternoon. Hi, I'm, I'm Jim Nance. I'm Phil Sims. Let's go ahead and get into this game. Let's talk about what's going to happen here. Blah, blah, blah. Talk back and forth for an hour before it. Okay, we play the games. Okay, let's go back and talk like it's halftime. Okay, let's play another game. Let's go back and talk like it's halftime. Let's go play another game. Let's talk like it's halftime. Oh, the series is over. Let's present them with this trophy that they clearly didn't know what they were supposed to do. Okay, let's go talk to the analyst desk while we tell them what they're supposed to do. Okay, let's give them these medals. I would have been happy with a a, a speech from Trindamira Rise. I actually would have been perfectly all right with that, rather than them just walking up. I, I don't have a problem with a fist bump, whatever. But literally just let me walk on stage. All right, fist bump, medal. Fist bump, medal. It just seemed so... This event seemed very corporate. Yeah. This event seemed very... This event seemed professional. Not, let's have fun, let's realize this is the end of a year of these guys battling out, let's celebrate it. Like, it didn't feel like celebrating the fact that SKT won. It didn't seem like celebrating the fact that these two teams had beaten 16 other teams in this tournament, plus the countless others that were still at home. This just felt like a, alright guys, we have to finally end this tournament, let's get it over with. Like, that's what it came across. And it was very clean. It was very crisp. It was very professional looking, but it wasn't it wasn't a world championship. It was, let's play a best of five today and get out of here. And that's maybe what I mean when I talk about this. You know, it's, it's, it's not that the, the production values were poor. They've done a good job over the course of the entire season five. The North American LCS, the European LCS, the, you know, the group stage, all these things, the production values have been rather high. I didn't see anything particularly about today's production values that were any better than anything we'd seen this tournament. But you're right. Compared to Season 4, there were fewer hiccups. That's that's all well and good. We only had one real huge hiccup, which was the Gragas remake game. Everything else was fine. Compared to what we had with the Heroes of the Storm tournament where they had to literally have interns on tablets. Like, yeah, okay, there are there are production things that have clearly been figured out. I will give them that. But... That, I think you hit it on the head when you say that this didn't feel like a championship at all. It didn't feel like a celebration. It didn't feel like it was for the fans. It felt like it was for whatever corporate sponsors or whatever else that they're looking to when they're going to point to the numbers and say, look at the audience we hit, look at how important we are. And to me, if you're going to do that, how else do you do it than by doing the kind of things that you did last year? Than by doing the kind of you know, these big celebrations, these big moments that you can point to and you can have people share with their friends on YouTube. Like if I wanted to share with my dad, you know, my dad does not know much about esports. He doesn't really understand much of it. You know, every once in a while I'll send him a picture of some sold out stadium and he'll think that's kind of cool. But it just it's not something that comes naturally to him. If I wanted to show him how awesome this stuff could be, I would show him the Imagine's Dragon concert before season four and the Korean fans just going crazy. I would show him, 
you know, season three, the sold out Staples Center and the way they had these bands come back out and then the way that they just, you know, got behind all this stuff and the, and the cosplays and everything else beforehand. If I were to show, what would I show him from this series? What would you show anyone? What's like, what would you say is like the one thing like, oh, you got to see this. You show that you show them the venues that they were in. You basically say they were at Wembley. They were at the O2 arena. They were at all these iconic stadiums. Yeah. Okay. That's basically, and it's not like you're not, you're going to show them the full, you know, sold out version of them in this very crisp, clean stage. I, I'd honestly show them MSG. Yeah. You know, in all honesty, there was no difference between this finals and the finals at MSG other than that, the t- that it was a rat, like a, a 360 degree stage. Yeah. And, and they did some more techie things with like, you know, the cool, I really did like, like the sweeping camera at the start of games. Shout out to skin spotlights oh. for that, but says a lot about riot that they couldn't come up with that. But you know, some third party was able to, to get that to work out for them. And you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm being very critical, and I guess I'm just being very critical because there's so much more they could have done. There's so much more they should be doing. And you know what? If this is the push, if, if the whole reason behind this is, look, we accept that we haven't been making use of our marketing team, and now we're going to market this, and we're going to turn it into a profit in its own right, and we're going to step everything up for season six, cool. You know what? One lukewarm experience at a, at a World Finals is worth that next step if that's really where they're going. My problem is, if you're going to do that, then what are the tacky medals and the fist bumps for? If this is all about professionalism, clean cut, whatever, where's the handshake and the bow and acting like, you know, professionals? You think Roger Goodell fist bumps whoever wins the Super Bowl? No. <laughs> you would never, Gary, like Gary Bettman's not fist pumping whoever's winning the Stanley Cup. It would never happen. So so what are so what's the point? What are you going for? That was them being them. That was him. That was Mark. Yeah, and I thought it was as stupid a season three them. as I do now. I I don't think you're the CEO of a company that makes millions upon millions of dollars. Give someone a handshake. Like I'm sorry, I I'm not. I I don't think that's an excuse at this point. It's it's five years, man. You had you had all this feedback. You saw what happened in season four, the way they handled it in OGN, and how much more people liked that closing ceremony. Like, like, come on. I'm and... going to give them credit for one thing. Okay, please. I, I want, I wanted to, I want to do, so, I want to tell, say one more thing that they did right and one thing that they did wrong. I'm going to start with the thing they did right. Mm-hmm. Freak was nowhere to be found. Yes. And that to me, when I, when I realized that in like the middle of game three, that was to me that said they are going for crisp, clean cut, not, not the celebratory, you know, fun, cutesy stuff. The second the game started, it was all business. Mm-hmm. It wasn't fun. You know, at the end of the closing ceremony, before they go back and do this, you know, super long, like 15 minute rehash of all their intro videos for everything else, which was just lazy. We mm-hmm. can we can put that on one thing they did wrong. They did this really cool, like buddy buddy, like let's get all the casters together, you know, all like 30 people together behind the desk, all congratulating each other. And I think the mics were left on on purpose to try and get that like after you do like a musical or a drama, everybody is backstage waiting for like the final person to come off and mm-hmm. you all congratulate each other. You all hug each other. There's crying. Like you're all super excited. And then you go out and you do your curtain call that I kind of liked too. That was kind of cool. But to me, it felt more of a, like, thank God we're done with this. Not like, yo dude, like great job. This was awesome. It was more of like, thank God this is over. I can go on vacation. Yeah. The other, the, the one nitpicky, I'm going to get super nitpicky thing here. And this is my final like little criticism of it other than like a couple of pan shots into the crowd and a couple of like outside entry shots there was no recognition that it was halloween or that people were cosplaying for this maybe in person during commercials they did sort sort of contests or something but from like the stream standpoint i'm actually used to being overloaded with cosplay that i actually get sick of it and there was none of it here yeah which is actually kind of disappointing given the fact that it was halloween so well, I mean, and you know what, Halloween isn't an international holiday. Yeah, I, I get to some extent why they didn't embrace that side of it, but cosplay as a general rule is something we accentuated all these game stuff because it shows how passionate people are that they put you know tens or hundreds of hours into making some intricate costume. Like, what is the world championship for? Who who is the audience for this? It it should be for the players and the fans and everything that have stuck with it since the beginning the celebration of everything that we've done, and there was none of that. It's almost like they were trying too hard. 
Maybe, maybe that's what, you know, this going for this crisp thing and whatever else, there were, they gave themselves no complications so that there was no room for anything to go wrong. It was technically perfect and incredibly boring as a, as a result. And the games, yeah. and, and now we'll finally get into the games, which, I mean, I honestly, I don't even want to spend that much time talking about the games because it felt like th there wasn't that much to talk about. Well, I, I do want to talk about something that you brought up, which was the Rumble. I, just because you brought that up to me in, in the Skype conversation, I think that was absolutely fantastic from SKT. They, they knew what they wanted to do. They knew they wanted to team fight at Dragon, and they picked these compositions in the first three games that were going to be, we're going to team fight you at Dragon. You're going to come to Dragon and team fight us. You're mm -hmm. going to come to Dragon and team fight. I don't care. You're going to come to Dragon and team fight us. And game two, they had a problem forcing Koo to come team fight them. Like, Koo was totally content with, we're going to sit back, we're going to wait for our engages, we're going to let Kuro on Victor, you know, lane push. And I, I'm skipping over game one because that game one was a textbook SKT game. Mm -hmm. They forced Koo to fight them. They picked their fights. End of story. That was that was game one. That mm -hmm. that was completely SKT by the book. Bang and Marin did not die at all. Done. SKT game one winner. Kaching Unicorns in both our pockets. Congratulations. Game two, Koo came out, had a very good early game, was able to establish some momentum, but at the end of the day, Faker outplayed them. Faker on Lulu of all champions was outplaying them, and they once again were able to exert their will and win game two. Game three, Koo learned from what they got in game two and said, we're just going to do that and we're going to take it to the next level. They got every single champion that they like to play other than the Thresh. The Thresh kind of confused me. And they got an ace in the first five minutes of the game. Mm -hmm. And they snowballed it from there. And you can't play the the very we-want-to-fight-you aggressive team fight composition that SKT wants to play when they're behind. Ku gave up Rek'Sai and Lulu in that game. Which How? I think was purposeful, honestly. Like, I, I yeah. think at some point you just say, okay, if they're going to go with Rumble, let's put Faker on Lulu. Now neither of these guys are that terrible solo pressure threats because we know that they're very, very good at winning lane. And now we just need to make sure that we team fight better. And, you know, that's why games two and three were the games in which Ku looked best. You know, game two could have gone Ku's way if they don't throw at that Baron, which was just such a dumb call. I, I don't know, you know, they have the split push advantage with Smeb. He's going down. You don't need to teleport in that early. It was so clearly telegraphed that they were going for Baron that they were practically just asking SKT to come in and steal it, which, you know, I it, it's just a mental error. They blinked. Yeah, they, they it, it was a staring contest, and Koo was the team that blinked, yeah. Yeah, they, so, so that was a mental error, but they could, do, you know, that happens. Game three was exactly how that, they wanted it to work out. Lulu isn't a threat in lane right away. She, you know, we saw that in game one where Kuro wasn't able to do anything on that champ either. Rumble, if Rumble doesn't get ahead early, you're kind of in trouble with Rumble. He doesn't have an amazing laning phase. He doesn't have an amazing way to catch up on farm if he's already behind. Yeah. And his utility is in those team fights, which only matters if you're going with team fights. So Ku just picked a pick comp. They didn't need to team fight. And so now you have no solo laners that are going to carry you through, and everyone else is behind. And by the way, praise on his best champion in the world. I mean, he's the best Ash. I have a Sivir. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and you've got a Sivir. That, that was never going to work. And I, I was very frustrated by that pick and ban. I, I felt like this was SKT kind of phoning it in because they knew they had a game, and they're like, oh, well, you couldn't beat us on the Lulu Rumble yet, so we might as well. And then in game four, they're like, oh, you made us, you know, what is it? Can you give me the Reddit comment? Because you were telling me this before the, oh, the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so, just beautiful. Th this is the, the best, best definition or, or explanation of what happened. And I want to thank the Reddit user I do you, or ID unavailable. Mm -hmm. uh, and congratulations on your Reddit gold and your almost 4,000 points of karma. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. uh, SKT is the bully who is stunned when somebody finally punches him in the back instead of cowing in fear. Game three, S you know, Koo took it to SKT. Except 
instead of dramatically collapse, uh, collapsing to the ground like they would in a movie, SKT's immediate response is to break his jaw and toss him down three flights of stairs. Ergo, Faker picks Rise. Which, really, my only thought was that Faker could have picked Rise one game early and I would be the Unicorn <laughs> Challenge winner. Again, only slightly bitter by the way those prevents went down. But, you know, and this is where, this is the last thing I want to touch on. Faker is the greatest of all time. I mean, that, that Rise game was on another level. Just the way Poetry. he was able to pick these plays and just a perfect understanding of every single PowerPoint that this champion has. I mean, Rise is not easy to play right now. There's a reason no one else plays it. And Faker plays it so well that it feels, it's, it's like you said, it's poetry. It feel, it's like magic. I literally cannot believe what I am watching when he plays it's, that champion. It's funny because he's playing the mage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that's, I mean, it, but honestly, these, these solo kills he was getting, the way that he was picking every single one of these fights, you know, from, from the first blood that Faker gets on Hojin in the mid lane, turning around a 1v2, I'm like, this game's over. Faker has decided he has won this game, and they have no way of stopping him. And, I, you know, you can say all you want, you know, why didn't they do that in game three? Why does SKT have to goof around a bit? Why? Whatever. But at the end of the day, when, you know, when the gods bled a little bit, Faker said, I've got this because I know I have this. Because I know I am the greatest of all time, and he proved it. It's incredible. Yeah, he, he, he basically said, enough of this. <laughs> I want to win my second world championship. Let's get this blank done and go home and have some fun. <laughs> so, yes, he just said, I'm going to old standby. Let me pull out the rice. <laughs> and, and, and Ku had nothing. They, they got baited into this low-damage you know, need to scale Lulu and Cassidy. And what are Lulu or Cassidy going to do against the rise? Nothing. There's <laughs> absolutely nothing. And and this is also going to bring me to the one thing that I could not stand is there was one instance where ignite actually helped either of these mid laners accomplish anything mm-hmm. like once. Sure. They dueled each other a couple times and they got kills, but ignite never like, only one time was Ignite like, okay, if I didn't have Ignite, I wouldn't have killed him. And that was uh, uh, Faker in game two, Lulu against the Victor, when they had like the duel in mid lane. The, like, that uh, Kuro had just killed Rek'Sai, had just killed Bengi, and then Faker just flash queued him to slow him and like ignited him, altered himself under tower, and like that last Ignite tick was what killed Kuro. Yeah, like that was the only time that I was ever like, yeah, okay, Ignite was a good choice there. Like, I ne- I didn't understand when you're you're playing Lulu, you're playing Cassidy's, you're playing Rises, and you're going Ignite. Whatever. I guess I'm not a world champion, so I guess I can't really say anything. But that was just the most bizarre thing to me. Yeah, I, you know, I don't question Faker doing it because Faker can do whatever he wants, and it tends to work out pretty well. I don't think Kuro needed to play that way. One of the things that you talked about on the podcast yesterday was how if they were going to do anything in this series, Kuro needed to play defensive. He needed to play his style of game. And Ignite is not that game. That's, that's not what he does best. It is an interesting kind of situation where, you know, you feel so much pressure to be the guy that, that makes the play that does something. And, and Game 4 was the ultimate example of when SKT wants to, it doesn't matter what you want. It just, it really, at the end of the day does not matter what interests you have. They're just going to stomp you. They're just going to exert their will on you. And they can do that because Faker is the greatest of all time. He is the Bonhoi. He is the greatest. He is, I, I mean, it's just, I've never seen anything like him. And depending on how long this game exists, we might never see anything like him. It, I, I guess before we wrap up, because we've already gone on for too long because of how long we had to rant about <laughs> <laughs> All these things that uh, that Riot did not necessarily live up to as far as our expectations went. Is there anything you're really looking forward to more than anything else with Season 6? I am excited to see the continued evolution of Western 
infrastructure. I've, I've said it before a couple times in, at Worlds. I think the talent, and, and other people have said this too, so I'm not, you know, crazy here. The talent has now pretty much petered out. You know, North American players are just as good talent-wise as Korean and Chinese players. Mm-hmm. You know, I, within a couple percentage points, you know, one direction and the other, fine, whatever. You know, I, I'm not I'm not upset if Bjergsen is 5% worse mechanically than Easy Hoon. Mm-hmm. I'm not upset about that fact. Actually, I feel good about that fact. Now what needs to be changed is the infrastructure, the way we look at the game, and the overall attitude that Western players have towards the game, uh, period. I think we saw two teams from the West this year that really did care about being the best, and they just choked at the last second. I think the players on Orion and I think that the players on Fnatic really, really, really wanted to win the world championship because they wanted to be the best. Mm-hmm. Other Western teams, H2K, CLG, Cloud9, TSM, the rest of them in there in, in you know the LCS. I think they wanted to win worlds, but I think they care a little bit more about other things. And I I can say I've said it yesterday, Faker when you watch him stream, you can tell he's not streaming to stream. Mm-hmm. He's not streaming to entertain the people watching. He is he is Kobe Bryant sitting there shooting 4,000 free throws at 3 o'clock in the morning. He is there to practice. He is there to get better. Mm-hmm. And I don't see that. Yesterday, I uh, I you know turn on Twitch in the after in the evening because you know I want to just be entertained. And I look, and Bjergsen is playing Overwatch. You will never ever see Faker playing Overwatch. And to me, that that is a huge reason of why Faker is a two-time world champion and Bjergsen is not, and why there's not been a North American world champion. And the, there has not been a European world champion since the Asian countries have really become established in the scene. That right there is, is a big, big example of what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. There's a lot of work to be done. If League of Legends is going to become something that we're still talking about five years from now, Riot has to figure out how they want to advertise this and what they really want to be and how to present that in a way that engages all of the audiences that they're trying to target rather than one very specific one that they've not necessarily done a great job of cultivating as a general rule up until this point. The West needs to figure out whether they're going to take this seriously and put in the time and the effort to really get this right or if they just want to be this kind of sideshow that people can get invested in and then immediately forget about when the when the heat gets on the the east needs to figure out you know how they're going to prioritize these huge money contracts in china versus the korean infrastructure and everything that comes from that the development it brings i mean god people have been pointing out scout is supposedly the next best player uh, you know, he's currently, I think, too young to play in the LCK. He's coming up next year. He's supposedly the number one Korean prospect. He's on SKT's roster. They're getting better next year. How terrifying is that? Like, That's, I I just, I, do we, it's insane. Do we see this starting five from SKT at next at next year's World Championship? I, I mean. Is it the same starting five? Probably not, right? You'd imagine they have to find a way to get Scout on there. So that means no Bengi. Yeah, I think Bengi probably retires uh, after a, a tear lit, moonlit night in which in which the you know he and Faker hug each other out, and Faker says, "You you've taken me this far. I appreciate everything you've done, you know, but I need you to to help us in a different way." He becomes like an analyst for the team, or there's, there's or no like there's no Samwise there's no Samwise Gamgee. I can't carry it for you, Frodo, but I can carry you again. I think it's time for him. I think Bengi did everything you could ask for from this tournament. But I think at some point you have to decide, do you want Bengi or do you want Scout? And I don't think they want to let Scout go. And if if Riot's going to keep to this alternating only one substitute in and out, I mean, I guess if Easy Hoon leaves, maybe Scout's that guy and you take one more year. Maybe they run it back one more year. Maybe Scout's a two-year project. I don't know. The problem with a talent like that is that someone's going to go after him. But... Uh, I think there are a lot of questions to be had. We have a very exciting offseason, both North America, Europe, and in all the rest of the regions. Walter and I, we're obviously not going to have any lines to guess in League of Legends for a while, but we are going to be talking 
about all these off-season things. We're going to have guests on for sure. And as we said last time, we are moving into other esports. We already had an awesome Heroes of the Storm preview that uh, that you guys really seem to enjoy. We got some great feedback on that. We're going to do more with that particular game. We're going to do some StarCraft stuff next week, hopefully. We're going to do some Smite stuff after that because those regionals Which are coming up. I'm super excited about. I can't wait to do some Smite stuff because I, I personally really enjoy watching this game. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is a it fits in a very unique kind of niche that crosses over the two really cool major esports uh, genres in MOBAs and, and first person shooters. So I'm I can't wait to do it and I can't wait to teach you about the game and teach you about the teams. It's it's gonna be a lot of fun. We've got so much more stuff. So if you want to keep up with that stuff, the best way to do that is to subscribe to us on iTunes at the Esports Gambling Hour. Um, you can obviously just you know hit that subscribe button. All the stuff will come onto all your devices, which is really cool. Uh, we really appreciate that. We also really appreciate reviews. That does a huge job of helping our podcast get noticed and getting it out there, which is great for us. And it's great for you guys because it enables us to do more content like this if you're enjoying what we're doing. So we'd really appreciate that. Uh, you can also follow us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash esportsgamblinghour. That's where all our stuff is right now. If you want to get it just that little bit earlier, you prefer to stream it directly on your computer, that's a great way to do that. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter for all of our news, all the live tweeting we're going to be doing during BlizzCon, during Smite Regionals, during all of these things. I am at RedShirtKing. And Walter, where can they find you? I am at C80s underscore LOL. And one one more thing before we sign off, Chase, which Please. I think is the biggest thing we need to remember because it is being constantly forgotten. Bengi is a two-time world champion as well, folks. <laughs> Please remember. Please don't. Please, I don't want to see one of those, like, sad Sarah McLaughlin kind of puppy commercials for, the like, the SPCA and, and them about people forgetting that Bengi is a two-time world champion. It's not just Faker, it is Bengi and also Kakoma. Mm-hmm. So let's also praise everything that they've done, even though they aren't making these flashy, you know, they aren't the ones that are flashing or imprisoning and, you know, just rolling their face on a keyboard and, and killing someone. I think that Bengi saved his best game for last and that, that the Elise game was, was phenomenal. So let's just all remember that. Bengi is also a two-time world champion. Let's not just say Faker like it does at the top of the Reddit post. Yeah. Let's remember no- Bengi. No, he, he Koma uh, and Faker are all incredible. They've all earned their place in the eventual League of Legends Hall of Fame. Uh, as maybe Marin may have played himself there in this tournament. He had an incredible tournament. A lot of people had some great tournaments. It had a lot of ups. It had a lot of downs. Uh, we were pretty negative in this particular episode. But overall, uh, the, there's nothing quite like the League of Legends World Championship. Thank you guys so much for listening to all of these. Thank you to Unicorn for giving us a place to host this. Please continue to look at their stuff. Uh, unicorn.com slash community for all of the content. I think Walter and I will each have some articles going up there next week, which is very exciting. Uh, but there are tons of great writers on there uh, that you should go check out. And Unicorn, of course, is just really fun. We enjoyed doing this challenge because we had a lot of fun going back and forth and then the little bragging rights each game and everything else. So it's it's been a pleasure. It's been awesome doing this whole thing with you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, goodbye, Internet.